when you first discovered music, how did that come about? Did you come from a musical family? Uh, my mom was someone who was a big gospel singer in our area, and so I was raised in the choir. It was not an option. It was a mandatory thing that you were in the choir because she led choirs, and all of my brothers and sisters at some point were in the choir. I'm the youngest of five. Um, but uh, that sort of is my background in music. I did have a little bit of piano for a few years until I got old enough to say no or, or until I sort of decided I didn't want to do it. And uh, that was still in elementary school. And junior high school, I started playing the saxophone in seventh grade and did that for two, two and a half, I guess, or so three years. Uh, and in ninth grade, I had uh, had this exposure to, um, was it NPR? Uh, but the one of the they had the playing Chicago Symphony had the Mozart bassoon concerto was there and I got a chance to see this weird looking instrument with all this wood and all these keys and this unique sound and immediately knew I wanted to at least try it. Um, it took a while to convince a band director to allow me to play it, but it, it sort of eventually happened and uh, things took off fairly quickly actually uh, that I started the end of my ninth grade year and by the next summer I was on tour with a group to the British Isles um, playing I was in British Isles for pretty much a whole summer so with a touring band and choir now where was this where that this was all happening uh, this happened in Michigan I'm from a small town Ypsilanti Michigan right outside of uh, right next to Ann Arbor Michigan where University of Michigan is so uh, you, your, the choirs your mother was leading, were they uh, church choirs? So you said gospel music? Yes, yes. Pretty much gospel music, church choirs, uh, and uh, more sort of, I guess, sort of charismatic type of churches, which, uh, which had a, she had a very unique style. Um, I lost my mom when I was fairly young, um, but she was very, very well known, and, and part of her style was she was just very, whatever she did, she did with a lot of passion, and uh, she was very well known for that. Was there any kind of transition necessary for you to go from that background in church music to the world of classical music and studying classical music? Um, yes, quite a bit, actually. Um, well, as I mentioned, my, my mom passed, and I went to go live with my brother and his wife, and that was um, uh, in a different part of Michigan. That's actually where Ypsilanti, where they were. Um, from there, it was pretty much the band director knew that he didn't know much about bassoon, as many wise band directors understand their limitations. And so they said, well, you should find a teacher. And, uh, and I found uh, a teacher there who uh, was affiliated with Eastern Michigan University. Uh, and eventually uh, I, and she said, well, if you're serious about this thing, you should study with a professor at Michigan, University of Michigan. So I didn't know any better. So I just went and knocked on this door one day as a junior uh, in high school and said, I hear that you're a good teacher of bassoon and, you know, what can you teach me? And, uh, and he, was, uh, he was a bit taken back by that. He didn't, you know, but he understood what it was. And he um, invited me in and, and I said, oh yeah, by the way, I have solo competition this weekend. Uh, and he said, oh really? He said, yeah, what are you gonna play? I'm gonna play the, the Mozart you know, concerto, the last movement of Mozart bassoon concerto. He said, really? I said, you wouldn't happen to have a copy, by the way. I don't have a copy on me. I don't, and, and so he said, yeah, I happen to have a copy. And he went to his file drawer and pulled one out and put it in front of me. And, and I began to play. And he could see that I was, you know, I, I really did, was serious about it. But what he also learned was that a lot of what I learned was by ear. Because the tradition of playing in, in gospel, you know, gospel churches is you learn everything by ear. So I had learned to play a lot of this thing by ear. Uh, it wasn't until I had the music in front of me that I sort of simulated 
that. So it took me a long time to really work out the idea of playing, playing the music that is in front of me, which is a big part of my job as a classical musician, is that you have to have that ability to read exactly what's on the page, you know, and not just sort of what your ears are there. But it is a wonderful tool to have the um, to have your ears open and ready to be flexible as, as any gospel or jazz musician would be. Were you conscious uh, at that stage when you started to really get serious about the bassoon and classical music of having any role models or people that you could identify with as far as uh, pursuing classical music as an African-American? I can't say that I had any immediate role models in terms of bassoon. There were no bassoonists that I knew of who were uh, African-American who looked anything like me. So that was one of those dilemmas we would talk about. Every time I, I would go to all these summer camps, I spent a lot of time in Interlochen and, and those type of summer camps, I could always, I say it, I would always spot myself from across the room because I was the only spot on the page. Um, but, it, but it also afforded me uh, another opportunity, which is the, I guess, skill, but more importantly, the, the ability to learn from all different types of people, uh, which I think is important for any musician, but especially uh, an African-American musician. It's important that you know and understand, can get along and can communicate with people from different backgrounds. And, you, and, and again, it's part of the world we live in. We're in the, we live in a diverse world and you should know how to get along with a number of different types of people. So it's something I enjoy. Tell us a little bit about your professional trajectory. How did it uh, come to pass that you wound up here in Charlotte? Um, I started my uh, undergrad degree at University of Michigan. And I, and I spent some time there. Uh, and I also subsequently spent some time at another university for a short period for a, for a mass, started a master's at a different university, but eventually ended up at Rice University in, in, in Houston, Texas, uh, and had a wonderful teacher there uh, that sort of supplemented what the work I had done with Mr. Cooper at uh, University of Michigan. Very different styles. Uh, even in the bassoon world, as small as you may think it is, there, there are all different types of um, camps about you know, things that are only important to bassoonists. But nonetheless, uh, they come from very different camps in terms of uh, there's this whole thing about flicking. I won't get into the details of that. But um, there are those who do and there are those who oppose to it. Uh, the short of it was I had to make that transition at some point from one school, one camp to another camp. And it really was uh, another one of those life-changing experiences where you learn that there's all different types of great musicians out there, and they all do it in their own unique style, but they all have something to offer. Uh, and so after my time at Rice, I was fortunate enough to audition uh, in May and got the job here in Charlotte, and I've been here ever since. What was it like coming into that orchestra? Did you still have that experience that you described of, I forget how you phrased it, being able to spot yourself uh, in the crowd? Was that what it was like when you arrived here in the mid-90s? I would say yes, except for there was uh, another musician in, in the orchestra at the time, another African-American musician at the time, who I also got a chance to know and still are friends with to, to this day. Um, I think that is the case for most African-American musicians that I'm aware of in any, any orchestra, and especially even in the major orchestras. Uh, generally, there's one to two, if that, uh, who are actual full-time members uh, of, of an ensemble. I know there's been lots of efforts to try and increase that or to open up the door, but it's been a it's been a difficult transition from what I understand. Uh, I'm I've participated or will be participating in several um, talk sessions with with uh, with 
organizations who are trying to do make efforts to find ways of opening the doors. One of the things that I participated in, which is probably no longer available, was there was a um, uh, an internship that I was able to uh, have participate with with the Houston Symphony. So I had a chance to sit in on rehearsals and to see behind the scenes and to actually perform with them, you know, on occasion. That was really a, a wonderful experience. Really wonderful experience in it that uh, that I know that seems to be a, a very effective uh, something that was available that was very effective and but certainly instrumental in my development a chance to learn from great professionals but more importantly to see what it takes uh, what the levels are and what um, what the life of a musician looks like you know as opposed to what we dream about in school and what we we aspire to there's you know the reality of what it looks like is something slightly different. So it became a real, a little more tangible. I know uh, most uh, orchestra musicians also uh, teach uh, on the side or, or as part of uh, their musical work. Do you do that also? I do some teaching, yes. Uh, I have uh, high school students, and also I'm on the uh, roster here at uh, Davidson College, uh, as well as UNC Charlotte. And so I, uh, I enjoy teaching. It's something that I think sort of full circle. It's, it's that uh, giving back, but it also allows you to crystallize what it is you've learned. You know, if you, it, it, one of the phrases I've always heard is that if you want to learn something, you know, teach it. And it's the same uh, concept. It allows me to really be honest about what it is that I do. Are my methods viable? Are the things that I've learned, do they work? You know, and, uh, and it's an important way for, it helps me to keep on my toes and keep me honest as well as uh, it's a way of sharing what it is you know. I believe that's the most effective teaching is to share what it is you know and not what you speculate. So uh, I enjoy teaching. I really do. Let me ask you a little bit about uh, playing all these years with the orchestra. Uh, I remember seeing you play the Mozart uh, bassoon concerto at one of the Charlotte Symphony Orchestra concerts. I forget when it was, but it was one of, when they were doing that series of concerts where they'd go out to neighborhoods. And so it might have even been here up at uh, Davidson College Presbyterian Church. That's correct, yes. And I was very uh, delighted to hear that piece live because I've played it on the radio many, many times, but it's not the sort of thing that I've seen performed live that often, and it was great to see it performed live. You must play other things, too, or have other parts of the repertory that you look forward to that come up uh, from time to time with the orchestra. What are some of the highlights of the repertory for a bassoonist such as yourself? Well, there are a number of pieces and a number of composers who I like, uh, one of which uh, is uh, Tchaikovsky. Tchaikovsky wrote very well for the bassoon. He really made it a solo instrument. And so there's a number of pieces. I think Tchaikovsky's fourth is, in particular, is one of those pieces that very well known, uh, very well, uh, very emotive. You know, we've, we've been known as the clown of the orchestra. That was the phrase I heard growing up was the bassoon was a clown of the orchestra. Well, suddenly with Tchaikovsky, it's no longer the clown. It can be the heart and soul of, of the orchestra and the heart and soul of the, you know, whoever the uh, protagonist, if you were to say, who, of the piece, you know, whoever that the, the character, the laid character. And it's nice to have that role on occasion to know that we can do more than just be funny. We can actually sing. We can, you know, mournful, but we can also do those other things. We can um, be a character. Uh, you know, in the play, I, I tend to think of classical music in that in those terms that is very visual for me, that uh, every instrument plays a vital role in terms of telling the story of that piece. And I think Tchaikovsky does it very, very well. Uh, another composer whom I love is uh, Stravinsky. Stravinsky wrote very well for the bassoon, and he wrote these unique colors to the bassoon. He seemed to really have gotten it. 
Uh, as I understand, he really uh, enjoyed and trusted the sound of the winds uh, in a way that many other composers didn't. So, uh, so I really love Stravinsky in particular. His Polchinella Suite is a is a favorite of mine. I've always loved that piece. Um, and I think uh, the other composer that I have to mention, of course, is Mozart. Um, not only the concerto, but in his symphony work. The bassoon has a unique voice there. It has a prominent voice, and we have a unique role there. We, we transition from being more, um, um, I, I guess, more complemental and sort of accompanying the, the strings and the basses, which is you know historically what we did in the Baroque, but also to having a solo voice as well. So I love that transition that he gives you. And I would be remiss if I didn't also mention Beethoven, because Beethoven also gave us those great, wonderful solos that are just, you know, the part of the repertoire that any audition you ever take, you will see some Beethoven as well. So those are just some of my favorites. One final question. You spent 20 years here with the Charlotte Symphony. Obviously, uh, something has kept you here all this time. Uh, If you had to boil it down to one thing in particular that has... uh, Uh, been meaningful to you and has kept you in your position as a bassoonist with the Charlotte Symphony Orchestra all these years, uh, apart from the repertory that you just discussed, which uh, seems so rich and rewarding, what would it be? I think it's an opportunity to represent wherever you're at. And that includes representing myself as a musician, representing myself Uh, as an African-American musician in particular, but also representing my training, the people, the teachers I've worked with. I mean, I bring to Charlotte all the things that I am, which is represented by all the experiences that I've had. Um, And there's one experience that I had in high school that was very meaningful for me, very poignant. Um, I was uh, part of the choirs while I was at Interlock. In fact, I'll tell you, I got actually tricked into being in the choirs. Um, I showed up for my first day of classes at the academy, and they, they had choir on my schedule. And I said, wait, this is a mistake. You know, I'm a bassoonist. Why do they have choir? choir? And, and he said, well, just go the first day or so, and we'll see, you know, we'll see if there's something there for you. So I went the first day, and I loved it. And then I went the second day, loved it. And he said, well, why don't you just keep it on there? So I, I eventually went from the, the big choir to the chamber choir to taking voice lessons, um, which is very important for my training. The choir, as a, um, as a reward for the competition we had participated in, we had won the competition that year, we got a chance to hear Leontine Price sing with the Grand Rapids Symphony, I believe it was at the time. And, uh, and it was just one of those life-changing, another life-changing moment, seeing this great artist perform this repertoire. And at first, I had heard all these stories about her and knew a little bit about her, but, you know, heard more than anything else. And I saw this woman come out on stage, and you had no choice but to watch her. She commanded your presence from the time she stepped on stage to the time she left stage. And she did several encores in this glorious voice. This glorious stage presence, you know, happened before me. So we also, as a, as a gift, we got a chance to go backstage and meet her. And so when I met her, what was the interesting thing was she had laryngitis. So she couldn't bear, she could barely speak, but yet she sung all these amazing arias, which was just such a, you know, tribute to her professionalism, but her training and her technique that she's still able to do that. Um, but in meeting her, she, she said, I told her who I was, and I was at the school, and I was a bassoonist. And in her wonderful sort of southern drawl, she said, oh, a performer, her up, 
we need you. We need you out here. And so that was one of those moments that I recognized that as an, you know, as an African-American musician, I have something to offer, but I have something very unique in, in, in what it is that I represent for the, for the, for the industry, but also from my background. Just as she represented a woman from Jackson, Mississippi, I represent a young man from Ypsilanti, Michigan. Uh, uh, and so that's an important thing to add to the diversity that Charlotte has and all the people who invest their lives into this community. So I, I really think that's what's sort of kept me here all these years is recognizing that I offer something very unique and I bring something unique to Charlotte. And Charlotte continues to teach me as well along the way. It's wonderful. Well, Joshua Hood, bassoonist with the Charlotte Symphony Orchestra, I want to thank you for your time and your eloquence. Thank you. Thank you. It's really been my pleasure.